You are listening to the Passion Minded Mom Podcast for business-driven moms who actually want to talk about the stuff that matters. I'm your host, Kate Reuter, business coach and marketing strategist, and together we'll expose the truth behind balancing work while raising a family and have real conversations about what works well and what doesn't serve us. We'll discuss all things marketing, mindset, and wellness, plus taboo topics like money, guilty pleasures, and intimacy. For the nitty-gritty of entrepreneurial success as a mom, you have come to the right place. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. It is so nice to have you here. Thanks for having me, Kate. I'm excited. Absolutely. So why don't we start with you telling us a little bit more about what you do and why you choose to do this work? Yeah. So I'm a coach and I work with other coaches who have pretty much maxed themselves out with one-on-one coaching. And they've recognized that they are now hitting a time ceiling as well as an impact ceiling and quite honestly, an income ceiling as well. And I love helping them take their signature methodology that they've developed working with their one-on-one clients, turning that into a scalable, repeatable signature group coaching program. So I help them with the signature methodology piece, the curriculum piece, creating that program, what the deliverables are going to be, and then also launching that and filling that so that they do kind of lift that ceiling on their impact, their income, and their time as well. Amazing. And so tell us more about your journey to this point, why this work is so fulfilling for you. Just tell us a little bit more about your story. Yeah, cool. So my first career in my 20s, I was a high school teacher. And kind of like a funny little part of that story is that I taught high school at the high school I graduated from. And I taught taught at that school too. Our classrooms were right beside each other. And we taught a lot of the same courses. We were obviously in the same department because our classes were beside each other. So I was a high school teacher for five years in the face-to-face classroom. And I also did quite a bit of teaching for a virtual public school. We had about 80,000 students in the state of North Carolina. And uh, in 2010, husband and I had our daughter, Brighton, who is now 10 and a half. And, you know, it was kind of odd. It was really uncharacteristic of me to be so emphatic about, I'm going to come home. I'm not going to work. When I was a teacher, you know, a lot of people think teachers, and I'm sure some teachers do work, like from the time the bell rings in the morning to the time the bell rings in the afternoon, which is not really a long day. I mean, it's like 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. You could actually get to your classroom 15 minutes before the bell rings and then walk out the door with your students. And you're working like a 30 hour week. I worked an 80 hour week. So I was the tennis coach. I was a football athletic athletic trainer. I was the FBLA coordinator. I was the advisor for other student clubs. I like ran this entire um, graduation project initiative. I was connected to a nonprofit that helped us uh, connect at risk students to mentors in the community. I would bring home a stack of papers on the weekend. I would work probably 10 to 15 hours every weekend. Um, but when you're coaching and when you're the athletic trainer, when you're running all these clubs, it was it was basically like another full-time job on top of my teaching job. And then I was also teaching virtual public school on top of all that and had 90 students online. So 80 hours a week might actually be, I might've been working more than that. 
So I share that because I worked and I loved it to work and I loved to be in charge of things. I loved to lead. So when I was pregnant, the only thing I could kept thinking, and this was really odd, I get, I kind of get it now, but I remember thinking to myself, I can't be good at my work at the caliber that I like to be, which is extremely high level and also be this like incredible mom. And this was back in my twenties, right? So I was like 20, I think I was 27 when I got pregnant. So I was like in my late twenties, having this idea in my mind, I can't be good at both things. I can't be as good as I want to be at both of these things. So one is going to have to go. And you know, my mom was an educator and a principal growing up. And I remember I grew up in a school building. We were at that school building all the time, weekends, nights. She was in the building. She was the last one to leave. I remember those papers being home all the time. Now, I never felt like my parents weren't present. They were present, but they both worked all the time. We grew up in daycare. We grew up in an after school program. Like we'd be on the bus, even though our mom worked in the school system, we would get on the bus and we would go to an after school care center. And our mom would pick us up around 5.30 or six o'clock. And when I was pregnant, I remember thinking that. And I was like, do I, like, do I really want to drop my kid off at daycare at 6.30 in the morning? Because I got to school at 6.45 when I was a teacher. I couldn't imagine getting to school like when the bell rang. Am I going to really drop her off at 6.45 a.m.? And back then I was working until about 6.30 to 7 p.m. The janitors would have to kick me out of the building because they were ready to lock up. And the sun would like the sun was setting. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to raise my kid and leave her in daycare literally 12 hours a day. Like I can't be a mom. And so that was my train of thought then. And I remember she I had her on a Friday. And the school year had started and I didn't go back to school that Monday. And so when I got home, you can imagine there was like this massive identity crisis. My entire identity was I work, I teach, and I practically live in a school building. And now I'm home by myself because my husband worked 12 to 14 hour days, six days a week. I'm home by myself. I'm feeding like a milk machine and right and slept all the time. So I was literally not talking at all, all day long. And she would stay up a little bit at night and she would poop. So it's like, I'm feeding, I'm cleaning a door and I'm watching a baby sleep literally all day in a house with zero communication, zero contact with adults. And I took a massive nosedive because I didn't know who I was at all in the capacity of being a mom at home. And it didn't take me very long. It was about three months in. I remember it was around November of 2010. So she was about three months old. And I was like, I'm going crazy. I have to do something. I have got to create, innovate, be around people, lead. Like I've got to, I've got to produce. I've got to be productive. I cannot just sit here and literally not talk to people. And so my first business was actually in network marketing because it was the easiest thing to step into. We knew people who had a really successful network marketing business. They were clients of my husband's. And so I was like, well, that's easy enough. I don't have to, I really don't have, I don't have to invest any money because Sean was actually already plugged in. It was health and wellness. He was a personal trainer. It just worked. 
And so network marketing was really where I got like my training ground in marketing sales and networking with people and having conversations with people and, and moving them into a product or a leadership role in my team. And it was actually that experience about six months in, I realized if I actually want network marketing to be successful, then I need to build a team and I need to know how to build a team and I need to know how to coach people. So it was actually that that led me to get a coaching certification in 2011. So I only did the network marketing for about a year. And then I completely like dropped it after I got my coaching certification. And in that certification, I was the only person who wasn't already a certified coach or a psychologist or a therapist. And I really did feel very misplaced because everybody kind of had this experience with coaching and the coaching industry. But when I went through that process and it was about a five month long certification, I was like, oh my gosh, this is totally what I do with my high school kids. Yeah, I was a teacher, but at the high school level, especially, and those kids are at an age where you can actually have a different kind of conversation with them. And my style was very much part teacher, part coach. I just didn't realize it. And so when I went through that program, I was like, this is exactly what I was doing as a teacher. And I was like, this is like the closest thing to what I already know how to do really, really well that I love doing. It's just in a different capacity. It's just not in a classroom with four cinder block walls, concrete floors, and like those old air conditioning things that you have to turn on that are so loud in the classroom. (laughs) And I also saw like uh, the potential to be home with my daughter and, and still be home with her and raise her and also build a business. So, you know, I really have my daughter to think, I think a lot of us moms who are also in business, if we look back, many of us probably became an entrepreneur after we had our children. And if it wasn't for her, I honestly believe I'd I'd be a principal of a high school right now because that was that's what I was going to do. So that's that's how I got into this role. Um, It was really her coming into the world and me getting to evaluate honestly, who am I? Like, who am I in the world? Not just as a mom, but who am I as a human being? And what, what is my contribution to my family, to my community, and to the world at large? Like, what does that contribution really look like? And not just what does it look like for me to earn money in the short term, but what's it look like 30, 40, 50 years from now? What does it look like when I'm not even here anymore? And what do I want to show her, you know, at least while she's in our house until she's, you know, however old she is when she leaves the house, 18, what do I want her to see? So that was really the catalyst of everything for me in my, in my business. Oh, that is so powerful. One of the things you said that I love too is, and just how you explain that you listen to your intuition about wanting to create something. You just knew inside of you, the staying home and in that sort of period of isolation, that was not what you were destined for, that there was something else that you needed to create outside of that. And you made powerful decisions to do that. In addition to making a powerful decision to not go back as an educator, and you had your own back the whole time. And even so, it was an evolution, right? You didn't figure it out right off the bat. So I love that. That is so powerful. And clearly you're setting an amazing example for her too. So thank you for sharing that. 
It definitely doesn't happen overnight. That is for sure. It it's it is a lot of years in the making. Yeah. So what would you say, what was the transition like then from going to kind of being at home with her all of the time to dipping your toe in and then really diving into the coaching? What was that transition from being full-time mom back to balancing the work-life um, you know, juggle? It was rough. It was really rough. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, I think the roughest part for me personally was going from, you know, when you have a job, when you have an employer and you're working from some, for someone else, you know, I, I did have like an extremely high standard for myself and I operated a really high level of excellency. And when you are a teacher running your own classroom, you do kind of feel like almost like, you know, I never really, I wouldn't say I feel like an entrepreneur, but you are like creating your own stuff inside of your own classroom. You are getting to run your own classroom in your own style which, you know, is kind of similar to entrepreneurship. But when you have an employer, you, it really, it kind of is this mentality where you show up, you follow the rules, do what you're told, do a good enough job, you leave, you come home, and you don't have to keep thinking about all the other things that the owner of that business has to think about. And look, in a school bill really is the principal. I mean, the principal is sort of like the, entrepreneur of the school, if you will, if you look at a school like a business, your principal is your boss. Obviously you've got your, but it's really the principal. I mean, that principal is working 110 hours a week. They're at everything. And they're trying to please every teacher, every student, every parent principals get sued all the time. I know people don't know about that, but they do. But when you're working for someone else, you can shut it off. You can shut it off when you come home. And when you start your own business, it's a, you are thinking about that, that entity a hundred percent of the time. And when you run a business, and this is what I've noticed, I noticed it with myself. I still have this sometimes now. I certainly see it with probably every single client is we attach so much of our value and our worth as a human being on the planet to the success of our business. But what we've kind of been, you know, whether this came from child childhood, just society at large, or once you start a business and you're paying attention to every marketing message out there, what we tend to attach our value and worth to is the dollar amount that we're actually making in our business. So if not coming in immediately, or if money's not coming in consistently or steadily, or if it's not continuing to rise, or if our income is kind of like a roller coaster, and we're watching that, we're, we think something's wrong with us. We think we're not enough. We don't know what we're doing. We get imposter syndrome. We think we're a fraud. And we also believe that everybody has us figured out. We think everybody knows we're not making the money or we're not making enough or, or whatever we're thinking in our minds. And that almost destroyed me in the very beginning. And when I was working at home, obviously, and Brighton was a baby. I mean, she was she was a, a little over a year, just like a year and four months old. When I started my first coaching business, which was in January, 2012, and she was home with me full time. I didn't have her in any type of daycare. And I remember I was literally putting in like 50 hours behind my computer. Now she was in the house. So it wasn't like I was just sitting in front of my computer, not moving. You know, I had a baby, but it was just she and I in the house. And I almost drove myself crazy 
thinking that I could not figure this out. Why was it not happening faster? And I remember back then I was I kind of like figured out who was, who were like the kind of like the top dogs in the industry at that point, like who had already been in the industry for a decade or more. And some of those people are still in the industry and now they've been in it for 20 decades. But I was like, who's making multiple seven figures and all these other coaches, who are they all hiring? I just went and found those people, but there was also a problem with doing that. And the problem was I was comparing myself to where I was currently to where they were. And I was trying to implement the things they were already doing at a seven figure level, not knowing all the things they had done for the five or 10 years prior and all the things that were going on behind the scenes. And so it was just sort of like this vicious cycle. And then, um, you know, I share this super transparently. I never had mom guilt ever. And I know a lot of moms do. I just never did. I never experienced it. Um, Clearly, I was like working 50 hours a week when I had a one and a half year old. I had the opposite. So when I was hanging out with her, I was like, but wait, I should be upstairs behind my computer, building courses and selling and creating email sequences and talking to people and making sales. And it's like when I was spending time with her, I could not shut off this just constant like wheel in my brain that literally was driving me crazy. And so then I, I mean, I've got to a point where I was resented having to take care of my child because it was taking me away from building my business. But you got to remember, I had so much of my identity prior to becoming a mom was wrapped up in work and production and being insanely good at what I was doing. And I also, I mean, I've got multiple degrees. I have a master's degree. Like I was, you know, and I did really well at everything I did prior to having a child. And then you start this business and you are starting over from scratch. And I didn't have the skills built up in all the areas necessary to build a really successful business. Meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out how to be a mom. When I became a mom, that was the first time I'd ever held a baby. I had never babysat before. So you've got like all this newness and it's challenging the only identity you've ever known of yourself. So that was that it was like that in the beginning for a couple of years. And I slowly, again, I never put her in like full-time daycare. I had her in the very beginning. I was like, I just need like a couple of hours. Um, I put her in like a two day a week, three hour a day preschool. And then I found someone who was the caretaker at the daycare in the gym where my husband worked. We had no money and she charged me $5 an hour to watch Brighton. That's pretty good. (laughs) I was, oh, that was really good. And I literally told her, I was like, I can't, I can't pay you more than $5 an hour. And she would watch her for like three hours a week. And then like slowly, it wasn't until Brighton was like, I don't know. I, it probably took me two to three years before I really got her to a place where she was in like full-time preschool. I think she was in full-time preschool by the time she was four or five, her birthday's uh, super early. So she's, she was like, she turned six the first week she was in kindergarten because of the cutoff date. But I just sort of slowly added on a little bit more time, a little bit more time with um, the babysitter 
and the preschool, I didn't just cold turkey stick her in anything. It took a couple of years to actually build it up where it was like five days, a, five half days a week or something. But yeah, it was rough in the beginning. You don't know what you're doing in the beginning. And I gave myself no grace at all, you know, in the beginning, which was not a good decision back then. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And for the transparency, because I think so many out there see the end result and they don't realize what the before looked like the several years of what it took to grow, to figure it out, to be resourceful, to, to take those baby steps to actually get to a point of success. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. So tell us more about um, what it was like to scale the business. And you mentioned, you know, obviously you got some help with Brighton and then you were resourceful in sort of building her up to get to a point of being in daycare. What did you have to do with the business to outsource, to delegate in order for it to scale as well? Yeah. So again, my story is unique, just like everybody's, but I did get that first coaching business. Uh, it finally did get up to like 10 K months, 12 K months. I think I might've hit a couple of 15 K months, but back then, so this is like circa 2013, beginning of 2014, that was all one-on-one coaching. And maybe a teeny bit of some leverage group. So, you know, 10, 12K, 15K months, like that's not scaling, right? That was just, I just kept raising my prices, which is one part of scaling, but I wasn't really scaling back then. Um, the unique part of my story is I left that business and I worked for my mentor who had, uh, while I was there, we built that company up to about five to six million a year. And I got to work behind, I was the, program director. So I was creating the programs. I was helping launch the programs. And then I was running the programs and we had up to 300 people in our group coaching programs. Um, at, at times we had 15 to 20 people on the team. So I was there for three and a half years and basically got to dip my hand in every single department, except the only thing I didn't do was run Facebook ads, but I played a role in every single department behind the scenes of that company and got to work with over a thousand women who were growing coaching businesses. So when I rebooted my own business, which was in January of 2017, I left that company, came into my own business. I went from $0. And when I say $0, it was like, I left a six figure job. I had, I was making six figures there, but prior to working there, we had spent everything we had maxed out every credit card, spent my 401k, my Roth IRA, uh, any savings that we had, I invested it all in trying to figure out how to build my first coaching business. So when I left that six figure job, which we didn't save any money because we also lived in Santa Barbara, California, uh, it was taking everything we made just to live in Santa Barbara. And we were in Santa Barbara for that particular job. So when I left the business, when I say there was zero, there was zero. And I was just a different version of myself the second time around, though. The second time around, I knew what to do. And I was insanely confident. I'd had all that experience. So I went from zero to 500, just under 500K in 12 months that first year. And, you know, at the time of this recording, it's now four years later. So in terms of scaling, you know, part of the mom side of that is now Brighton's in school. So she was in school in 2016. So when I came back into my business, she's in school all day long. 
So it, I mean, I'll be honest, it's a lot easier to grow your business when your kids get to school age, in my opinion, if they're at home with you all the time, when they're under five, and you don't have any kind of care, it's way easier because you have much more, you're on a schedule because they're on a schedule. Um, so scaling, you know, a couple of things. Number one, in my philosophy in growing a business, I started really high profit. My business model was a really high profit business model in that first year because it had to be. I didn't have another choice. I didn't have an option. I couldn't go try to build funnels and make that stuff work. I couldn't try to go sell like low ticket anything because again, like we were starting at zero. So I started out with really high ticket one-on-one coaching and I didn't have to have an overload of one-on-one clients and get to a point of like incredible burnout because I was charging a lot. Um, And I also had a lot of experience under my belt at that point. So I wasn't like this newbie coming back on the scene who didn't have any experience. I was starting out at a much higher level at that point. So I started out really high ticket one-on-one coaching. I maxed myself out in about three and a half to four months. I immediately transitioned into group coaching. So, you know, kind of, so a couple of tips there. Number one, I had one offer and I had one goal and I met that goal. I didn't, I didn't change who my ideal client was. I didn't try to come up with another offer. I just kept it so simple and so focused so that I only had to think about one thing. And it was book myself solid with this coaching package, get all those clients under my belt. And when I hit the point where I know I'm maxed out with one-on-one, I already knew that I was going to transition into a group. And I also was going to coach people on the same thing. I was coaching them on one-on-one. It was just now going to be in a group setting. And I also kind of stayed with my philosophy of a bit higher price point program. So it wasn't like a $500 group coaching program, or it was a $5,000 90-day group program. So it was still kind of that mid to higher level price points at that point. So simplicity was really key, focusing on one offer at a time, knowing what my next move was going to be before I got there. I always knew what my next move was going to be. And I had that figured out. I knew what the message was going to be. I knew the ideal client was going to be. And I wasn't constantly changing who I was working with. I wasn't constantly changing my message all the time. Sure, I was refining it, but I really just, the name of the game for me was simplicity and focus. And then the other thing that I did in the very beginning, and I still do this pretty frequently now, I remember I got out a sheet of paper because fast was necessary for me back in 2017. Got out a sheet of paper and I thought, okay, you've got this very specific goal. And I had a client goal and a financial goal. And I had a timeline and it needed to happen relatively quickly. And I thought there's a lot that could slow me down. There's a lot that I could let get in my way. And I made a list of probably 60 or 70 things that could slow me down from hitting that goal in the timeframe that I wanted to. And I wrote every single one of those things down from mindset to the need to compare myself to other people, to the need to want to be a perfectionist, um, procrastination, fancy graphics, 
Facebook ads, a website, like anything that was going to take me time in a physical, like tangible creation world, but also in my own head. And I wrote every single one of those things down and I drew a line through every single one of them. And I didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't make myself think that I had to do any of those things. And I made the decision that I'm a limit every single one of those things. So that right there was actually critical for me to be able to get, you know, from zero to almost 500 K that fast. I, I didn't do anything on that list that entire year. I didn't create a website. I didn't do bells and whistles. I didn't hire a graphic designer. I didn't hire like all these people to do all these things because I kept my business model so simple and so high profit so that I could make that kind of money, then take a significant percentage of that money, make sure I was onto it so that then I could bring certain people on and start outsourcing once I got into more of the bells and whistles of building an online coaching business. That is so, there's so much goodness in everything you just outlined. And especially because I think a lot of us moms, when they're starting out, there's this idea that they have to set all of these systems and things up and get everything ready to scale later. And sometimes that can be very distracting where they miss that singular focus, like you said, Mm -hmm. and just staying committed to that and also outlining what obstacles preemptively could get in the way and then deciding that you're not going to let them get in the way. So that is incredibly powerful. Wow. So thank you for sharing all of that. So I have one more question too, before we wrap up, but I wanted to get more of your perspective on this idea of this, what you've shared is this soul first strategy, second Mm -hmm. approach. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm glad I told like some of my beginning story because it wasn't that way in the beginning. In the beginning, I mean, I came from, and I think most of us, you know, everybody, most people listening to this, most of us probably did have like some sort of job or career or employer. And a lot of us are growing up the exact same way. And it's like, you know, make good grades, keep your mouth shut, get a really good job and perform really well at your job. Don't really rock the boat. Um, Make sure you get a job that has really good benefits. But, you know, I was taught growing up, like work hard and be kind and be a really good person. Like that's what I was taught. And, you know, when I was a teacher, clearly saying yes to anything anybody would ask me to to lead, you know, from being the tennis coach to being the athletic trainer to being the advisor of things, the coordinator of things and literally having no life. It was all about do what you're told, work hard, do what you're good at, and and work until the job gets done. I can't really say that there was much soul in that. Now, I loved being a teacher. I loved my high school kids, but I also followed in my mom's footsteps. I, you know, she even said to me, I graduated from college, which I did not have a degree to be a teacher. I got a business degree had no clue what I wanted to do. And she's like, oh, I'll pay for you to go get your master's degree. You'd be a great teacher. Why don't you just like get a job, you know, at at the high school? And I was like, okay, you know, I know what mom did. Um, She was really good at it. I can go do that. So let's just go do that. So I, you know, in my teens and twenties, there was no connection to soul. I don't even know if I could 
could have said to you what that even meant back then. It was just like, I just did what I was told. Even in my twenties, when my mom is like, go get your master's degree, I'll pay for it. Go be a teacher. Okay. I didn't even question that. I just did it. I just did what I was told. And I think a lot of us grew up that way. just did what we were told to do. And we believed it. And a lot of my twenties, and I think motherhood is actually what literally it turned my life upside down. I mean, you know, I've already talked about the whole identity thing, but I really struggled with identity piece for like a good solid three to four years. The first three to four years of Brighton's life really, really struggled with that. And even when I worked for the company that I worked for, I can't say that there was a lot of soul in that. It was work hard, get the job done. That's why you're here. And that's what I did. So when I left and rebooted this coaching business in 2017, in the beginning, there still kind of was this mentality of you got to work. You got to work because again, no money. It was up to me to make sure we were financially stable. It was up to me that we were growing the business really fast. So to a degree, I was still slanted more towards what's the strategy? What do I have to do? You know, I really wasn't thinking like, how hard do I have to work back then? Because even then I kept everything so simple. I was only working about 30 hours a week. So I was not like working myself to the bone in my coaching industry. That was part of that whole, like making the list of everything I need to eliminate because I knew that was going to take my time. And so I eliminated a lot of things that could have taken up my physical hours and my physical time and bandwidth. And I knew I wasn't, I was not available to be working like 60 to 80 hours a week in the business. So for me, I think that's really happened in the last like three years of recognizing that I don't have to go like hell bent on working hard to get a result based on like the old way I was trained to operate as a person and operate as a worker bee. And, you know, soul first is something that I work on with a lot of my clients because pretty much everybody has that same mentality. You're trained to work. You're trained to do what makes you money and you better make money or else. And the, or else is I can't pay my bills. And so then what we're sacrificing is connecting. Like you were talking about intuition earlier, we're sacrificing actually even allowing ourselves to go there, even allowing ourselves to tune into what do I really want? What really sets my soul on fire? What's really my calling versus what's everybody doing that looks good, that they're successful with, that's making money. How can I make money? I guess I better go do that. And that's how so many of us are programmed. We watch what works. Then we think, oh, that's what I'll go do. And it's going to work for me. And I'm going to make all this money and build this business. And then we end up resenting the business. We resent our clients even. We resent the life that we've actually built for ourselves because we've like sort of shut off. Um, it's not like it's gone. It's still there, but it's almost like we shut off that ear and we shut off the ear that's allowing us to really tune in or we're shutting off that feeling that you get because soul first is really about a feeling to me. It's a feeling and everybody knows what that feels like within themselves. I don't need to describe what that is. I know what it is for me, but it's just a feeling that we get. And it's like joy and it's happiness and it's a little, it's like butterflies and it's almost a little bit of nervousness. We all know what it feels like when we get nervous, but it's sort of like that 
but it's coupled with extreme excitement. And you can almost like see the vision down the road. Um, you know, like, here's a really good example. One of my clients, we were having a retreat and we were talking about this soul first strategy second, because they all came to a retreat and they were like, I'm tired. I'm burned out. I'm exhausted. Just like trying to keep up with my clients and my programs and making more money. And I had this moment where I was like, they are all just worker bees. They're all just employees and they're in business. We got to have a different conversation. And the retreat went in a completely different conversation. And there were some emotional breakdowns because they all kind of realized they were all like heart-centered entrepreneurs. And that was their message to the world. But yet they had like shut off this soul connection part of their own business inside their own business. And one of the clients um, made a huge decision. She actually recently put her house on the market in the United States and they're going to move to Mexico. So she, she goes down to Mexico. They stay for two weeks. They decide they want to move down there. And so that's what she's doing. But that's like sole first strategy. Second, the strat, every strategy works, right? Like every strategy in business works. Every tactic actually works. But if the soul is non-existent in those strategies and you're over here, like watching everybody else use the strategy and it's working, but it's not working for you. That's an indication that you just cut off connecting with what you truly desire. You cut off connecting to your own calling. You cut off connecting to your own voice. You cut off connecting to the little, you know, still small voice and whisper. Um, and you're just going like to the wall, trying to build this business so you can say you've got this amazing business. But like for what? Like for, for what? Sacrificing your happiness and your family and your health, really? Right, right. But that's what Soul First Strategy Second is all about. Yeah, I think because so often we think that if we get a result, we get to finally feel stable or happy or fulfilled or joy, right? But if we're not enjoying the journey along the way, what is the point? And we can get so disconnected and sucked into that hustle mentality that we are completely not aligned in what we're doing on a daily basis. And it doesn't feel good. So thank you for, for touching on that. That's so important. Yeah. So you have provided so much value and so much wisdom today. I cannot thank you enough for being here. I know all these moms are going to get so much out of this. So please share with us where we can find you, how we can connect with you and what you have going on next. Yeah. The two best places are my website, which is also relatively new. I built this business for the last four years with no website. So there's like, you don't need all the fancies, uh, but I do have a website. It's meganjohnsonhuber.com. So you can go check that out. And then all the magic kind of happens for me and my community inside of my free Facebook group, which is structured freedom for impact driven coaches. There's I don't know, probably like a hundred training videos sitting in there that you could go like have a heyday with. And what's coming up next, we run a five-day free workshop a few times a year. And um, you'll see all of that inside of our free Facebook group. But our next one is a six-figure signature series. And I'll be helping you map out and create your own scalable group coaching program. So that'll be happening. Um for quite a while inside of that Facebook group. So awesome. And I've been part of your trainings before and your teaching expertise 100% comes through. I love the way <laughs> that you deliver what you do. So 
Thank you. You all have to go check her out. We'll drop all those links in the show notes. And Megan, thank you so much for your time and for being here today. Thanks for having me.